the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Andy Froyland. And we're back. Lifeline, Andy Froyland. It's all things I can only imagine tonight. And John Irwin is our guest at the moment. The uh, part of the uh, part A of the dynamic duo, John and Andy Irwin, and the uh, directing team that has uh, really stepped up and and just shot one out of the park for not just a home run but a grand slam in my mind. The way things are well, going here. Uh, one of the things that is so unique about this is I happen to know that you guys were invited to do a pre-screen at a couple of rather unusual places, and they're right here in the Bay Area. Facebook and Apple have actually brought you guys in to pre-screen this movie. I mean, that is so amazing. Yeah, we were the first, I was geeking out. Uh, I actually went down to Pixar because uh, there's a, some friends of mine that are believers down there and, and uh, love that building and um, and then w- and went and screened it at Apple and at Facebook. First Fate Films to do that, I believe. And, and uh, I just want to thank Apple Christian Fellowship and um, and the same at, at, at Facebook. And it's just amazing the power those tech companies have. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and also just some of the people working there, some great people. They love the film. We did a Facebook Live thing from the – from the campus at Facebook. Amazing places to work. I was a little disappointed that the space station was not quite open because I drove by it and around it at Apple, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know when they're going to move in. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but it, this is, uh, uh, this is pretty, uh, spectacular, uh, uh, opportunities to get the screen there. And, and, uh, and, you know, there, there is, the world is being shaped from, uh, from the Bay area, from Silicon Valley. It's just unbelievable. Uh, the, the influence that these companies have now, and we need to influence them. Yeah. So I was glad to, to be able to screen. Uh, I can only imagine. I, you know, I uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are literally front lines, um, um, missionary work in the Bay Area when it comes to our faith in Christ. Uh, and when you get up to Marin, yeah. it's it's probably one of those countries that hasn't been touched by the gospel yet. So you know, folks, we need we need missionaries to Marin. <laughs> but the, the fact yeah, is yeah. that uh, it, it still blows me away that the, the likes of an Apple or a Facebook would actually want to see this movie and do a pre-screening for their employees. I, I, I'm, well, I'm gobsmacked. I'm an, I'm an optimist, I mean, but I, I have this. I have this. Uh... Um, this core belief that the principles of Christianity and the story of Christianity and the hope of Christianity, yeah. when it's mm-hmm. correctly presented, it's universally appealing. This is a story about the reconciliation between a father and son and about the, the power of forgiveness and about forgiveness being the highest form of love. And who's not for that? Yeah. And so I think there's a way for us to present our worldview in an appealing way that is universally appealing and universally accessible. Um, and so we, we try to cleanse the script of any words that only Christians would understand. Sometimes if we say, are you washed in the blood? People don't know what that <laughs> right. means, you yeah. know? And, uh, and, and so it means something to us, but it doesn't. And the genius of Jesus' parables 
is that you didn't have to be a Pharisee to understand them. Yeah. And we want to do the same thing with movies. And I think that there's just a huge opportunity. You know, with Woodlawn, we first found the power of a true story that, um, that uh, you know, when it's true, people crave it in their own lives. And we've had somewhere between twenty and 25,000 people uh, come to Christ as a result, mostly wow. high school students. And we've just found that this is really, you know, story is the language of our hearts. Mass entertainment is the language of our time. Yeah. And a movie is where the two meet. And I remember T.D. Jake saying, uh, Jesus was a storyteller, so if he was alive today, he'd be a filmmaker. I'm like, I don't know the theology <laughs> or if that, but I'll take it. I'll steal that quote for sure. That's a good one, and, man. Uh, you can hang and, on to and that. And that's a good one. And so, uh, you know, I just think that we have a great opportunity, and, and that's what shines with I Can Only Imagine. I mean, this is the song that has become an anthem to our faith for so many of us. Um, but we all know it is a song about heaven. Yeah. And yeah. who knew it's actually a song about a son singing for his father because of the, 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 the reconciliation in their relationship. So I think, and I remember talking to Bart and saying, what is the phenomenon of I Can Only Imagine? How could an independent band from Texas write the best-selling, most-played Christian song of all time, this multi-platinum juggernaut right. that went far beyond the Christian space and the pop and country and number one most requested song on many top 40 stations? Like, what, what's the phenomenon of it? And he said, it's a rush of hope. That's what people feel. It's a rush of hope. And I just think we need hope like we need air today more than ever. And and uh, and, and so I, I, I think that that's what you're going to feel when you go see the movie. And that's what we that's what we went for anyway. Was to, so you'd feel that same rush of hope that you first felt when you heard the song. Brings a rush of hope, but I, also a sense of tangible grace. Mm. It, 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 put, yeah. it places a connection. It, it, it takes heaven out of the theory realm and puts it into reality. And well, you know, I love I love the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. He said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Mm -hmm. uh, we're supposed to bring heaven here. Yes. And we bring heaven by here by loving each other, by forgiving each other. And uh and I think we forget that this is this is the business card of Christians. By all by this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you love each other. Right. And uh and that's what we're supposed to be known by. And this is an incredible thing that's happening. I mean, first I think the film's really entertaining, really inspiring. I think you'll laugh and you'll cry. I've screened this thing hundreds of times all over the country. You're going to have a great time in the theater. Yeah. But to see what's happening after the credits roll, there was a guy, and this is starting to happen all over the country, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, a guy saw the film, loved it, but he wouldn't leave the theater till he found his dad on Facebook because wow. he hadn't seen him since he was 14 years old. Wow. And, uh, and he was harboring all this bitterness and, and hatred. And he let go of it, and he met with him the next day, and he forgave, He found him, met with him the next day, forgave him, shared Christ with him, and and they uh, said he loved him. His dad said the same thing, and and it and it healed them both wow. in a way. Forgiveness sets both parties free. Man, if that could happen, we have so many things that are uh, tearing our culture apart, tearing families apart. To have something that brings us back together. Um, could be really cool. And that's my hope uh, uh, for this. Well, film. and that's the beauty of this film. This isn't a storyline that is unique to just one person. This is this Correct. this is a storyline that is common to most. It just happens that uh, God decided to choose somebody who's who's got a, a means to share it, uh, to, to put it out there the way all of you guys yeah. have done. And that is, and, and we'll talk to Bart about that here in just a little bit, but that is what is so amazing about all of this, uh, the song, the book. In fact, I was, I'm, I'm going to 
talk to Kevin Downs here in just a moment or two. Uh, he's he's next on the list after you. But uh, you're just doing a marathon. We, we this are, is like is. A, this is like an I can only imagine telethon. It is. And by the way, we were the number one ticket on Fandango this morning and yesterday morning. We've been in the top five all week. We're number three right now. Isn't that wild? We're number three on MovieTickets.com. This is crazy. I mean, especially because the movies that are in the marketplace. I'm, I'm I'm looking at MovieTickets.com. We're almost 17 percent of the tickets. Wrinkle in Time is 18.5, and Black Panther is 20. Yeah. So uh, this is. Uh, an unbelievable anomaly, and there's this amazing word called FOMO uh, that we can use as Christians. It's F-O-M-O. It means the fear of missing out. It drives culture today. Yeah. It drives their decision. And when we make a lot of noise together, the reason behind that is actually the most connected generation of Americans uh, of, uh, in the world has ever seen, really, is also the loneliest. They're calling it the generation of loneliness. Yeah. Um, because there's no one they can count on, and it's just amazing. There's a lot of data behind that. And so the need to belong and the fear of missing out are driving their decisions. Yeah. And uh, we saw it with Black Panther. Uh, we can do the same thing. If we can come together at one moment with one voice, uh, we can get a generation back. We can recapture the imagination of a generation. we got to remember, the walls of Jericho fell down. Yeah. When everyone yelled at the same time. Well, John, you know, I, uh, I, I, I'm a, I'm a product of the fifties and sixties. And so by the time the seventies rolled around and theater was available to me as a kid, well, as a young man, um, I, I remember a couple of early attempts at faith based movies and, uh, we, <laughs> yeah. We have come a long way, and uh, yes, we have. And I, I you know, uh, with you and, and and your brother and uh, um, uh, the other folks out there, uh, I, I tell you, man, you guys have taken it to a level that everyone just stands with their mouth agape, going, "Really, we are capable of something." That well, yeah, you know, I, I have a dream that someday a movie that is infused with the gospel could compete with Star Wars, not with other Christian movies, but with Black Panther and Star Wars. I think that that's possible. I think there's enough of us. We just got to keep getting the films better and better so that they can be seen by more and more people. And I remember Sean Astin telling us on the set of Woodlawn, very funny, he said, I see you and Andy as frontiersmen and pioneers. I said, thanks, Sean. That's uh, that's we want to blaze a trail for that generation that's coming behind us. that's going to far exceed our abilities. And he said, you know, John, you should know this. Most frontiersmen die on the frontier. I'm like, well, I never thought of that, but (laughs) there will be a clearly marked trail, and we'll be frozen pointing to the summit. But I'm telling you, we can summit this mountain, and we can can harness America's second largest export as a tool for the gospel. There's this amazing verse in Acts that says, David served the purposes of God in his generation. Okay, there's always a way to serve a timeless message and an eternal message that never changes, but you serve it in your generation. And the the ways that you get that gospel to people change with the time, change with the technology. And when there's a new way to get it to people, we got to go take it. You know, my Bible says on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gate's not a weapon. Nobody's going to throw a gate at you. We're built for offense. We're built to storm stuff. And let's storm the movie theaters together. Uh, And let's do it this weekend. John Irwin, my guest here on Lifeline, as we continue our I Can Only Imagine evening on Lifeline. We're going to take a quick time out and come back and continue our conversation around the movie. 
And now back to Lifeline with Andy Froyland. And welcome back. It's Lifeline. Andy Froyland. It's all things I can only imagine. And joining us now as we continue on this train ride, Kevin Downs. He is the uh, he's he's one of the movers and shakers behind this movie. He's the producer actually, of the movie. Kevin, first off, thanks for joining us, and uh, welcome to Lifeline. Hey, it's good to be here, and uh, hey, how is it in San Francisco? Well, uh, actually, I'm in the Northern Command Studios, which is, uh, which is, if you go another four and a half hours north and up into the mountains and into the snow, then that's where you'll find me. I, Wait, what, what city? I didn't know that. What Weaverville. City? I've been to Weaverville. There you go. That? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Okay. No. As a matter of fact, I've got about three inches of snow, and it's just coming down like like no gangbusters kidding. at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. March March fifteenth, three inches of snow in Weaverville, and we're that? expecting more throughout the next couple of days. Which uh, uh. actually, we we need it. We've had a lot of rain, but it's been a warm winter, so we're we're hoping for more of this white stuff to stay up in the mountains a while longer. That would be great. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. yeah they, uh, yeah, they let me do uh, do work from our Northern Command Studios every once in a while, which is okay. always nice for me. Uh, which, by the way, you're not in your studio. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, I love technology. Isn't this stuff amazing? Oh, I know. You could be anywhere in the world, honestly. Exactly. You could, so, you could ch- chat on the phone and sound like you're next door. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly <laughs> what we're doing here tonight on Lifeline. So... Kevin, uh, as one looks over your bio and gets an idea of uh, the journey you've been on, especially in media and movies and all this fun stuff, um, what is it that brought you and this story together? How did you come across this story? Yeah, you know what? This is a, my third film producing for the Irwin brothers. Uh, you talked to John Irwin, so you got to know mm-hmm. him a little bit. And, um, you know, those guys are such creative guys, so we have a really good partnership. And so our last film was another biopic called Woodlawn. Right. Uh, true story, obviously, uh, with uh, Tony Nathan, the uh, iconic Alabama football player played with Miami Dolphins. So we were looking for another true story because we enjoyed that process so much. And so uh, the story of Bart Millard, uh, and I can only imagine, kind of – came across my desk and and I'm like, you know, we should look into this. And the more we researched Bart's story after talking to him and, and just kind of uncovering some of the nuances, you know, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, this story is extraordinary. This is, this is, this is going to make an incredible movie. So um, it was kind of a no brainer. And these guys do such a great job with it because they had a background before movies uh, doing, believe it or not, Christian music videos. They're very good at it. And, um, and so, you know, they, what they do is, is they, they bring it to life. I mean, they're, it's, you know, you sit there and you watch this film and it it just absolutely comes alive and it's very emotional. I mean, I'm a, I'm a movie fan, so I like to go to the movies, but the things that make it a successful night for me is if I'm a emotionally moved, B, if there's at least some moments where I laugh, if it's not Mm -hmm. a comedy, still like to laugh because I don't want to sit there and just be so intense for an hour and a half to two hours. And then 
you know, see, did I, did I leave the theater going, man, I'm in such a better mood and a better place than I was an hour and a half earlier score. And, and that, then that's like, okay, that was so worth my time. And I, yeah. I think at least I can only imagine does that. That's the feedback we're getting from audiences, uh, that have previewed the film. So it's really exciting to bring it to theaters and, uh, for everybody to get a chance to watch it. Cause it's so rare for a really super strong film to be released in theaters and, and then to double that fact with it, that it's a, a movie about a song that millions have heard and yeah. at, and have such a uh, kind of a, a meaningful place in their heart for. And now all of a sudden they get to kind of wrap a bow on it and they get to understand the inspiration behind the song. So I think that's really cool. It's uh, it, it is fascinating. I mean, as I as I told John uh, just a few moments ago, our pre-screen here in the Bay Area uh, was was packed out. We were turning people away at the door. Cool. Which, which is unusual. And that plus the fact that Cinemark has picked you guys up. Um, we, we, normally in the Bay Area, uh, you know, you're a California boy. You know, you know the drill, especially in the Bay Area. Uh, if we can put a faith-based film in over six movie theaters here, uh, we're doing <laughs> amazing. A, you it's know? a success. It's yeah. a success. And, and here yeah. we are, over 30. Cinemark has picked them all up. And yeah. it's just it's it's blowing things up around here. Which... Yeah, no, it's it's happening all over the country. We actually got a uh, we got an email this morning. I guess tomorrow night. Uh, I mean, opening night, Friday night. Um, uh, like 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 four theaters are sold out, and they're bumping other movies. And yeah. It's just like, and it's still you know we still got a day to go to get to that. So it's cool to see the demand for it and the real the real heavy interest for it. And I think, I think a lot of it, it goes back to the fact that this song has been around for 18 years and, and people have just a personal connection with it and they just want to see how, where it came from. I would, it's like a lost, it's like a lost child basically, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and, I, and it's I, like, yeah, I let's noticed. revisit. We get to revisit this child that means yeah. so much to us. It's kind of yeah. cool. So, well, yeah, I, I, I know that you guys were on Fox and friends here a couple of days ago and I, I found it ironic that they're, they're saying, yeah, they've taken this song and they've turned it into a movie and I'm going, no, 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 no. You, you've missed it. This is a, this is a story that made a song that just happens yeah. to be a movie. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is a, a fascinating story. I think what makes it so uh, anticipatory for everybody is the fact that it is a story that resonates with so many. It isn't an unusual story. It's just that God has found a, a, a voice for this story yeah. to get a modern version of the prodigal son out there. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and again, the prodigal son is kind of, the storyline is reversed a bit, but the ending is still the same. There's a, there's forgiveness and reconciliation, which that, that parable is all about. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. As, as yeah, there, you, no it, doubt. As you work through the process, it, obviously you picked up the movie thinking this is going to be great, but was there a point in time where you thought, oh, this is going to go beyond what we thought? Well, you never know. That's the crazy thing about movies is, you know, you just unless you're spending two hundred million dollars and you're a successful comic book franchise or something, you just don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what these films are going to do. And so but what's been fun with I can only imagine is to kind of see the momentum build and um, 
you know, we're, we're right there at the kind of the apex of the release now and, and, and the excitement build. I mean, look, at the end of the day, as filmmakers, we're making movies for audiences. Yeah. And, and, you know, when audiences don't want your movie, then you kind of go, well, why did I do that? But then when they want your movie, when they want your movie, there's no better feeling because you're like, okay, I actually, you know, I did it right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a stand, it's an affirmation, and so you know filmmakers love it when audiences are just responding so well to their film, and so yeah. the Irwin brothers and myself, I mean that's we're really celebrating with audiences as they go and experience. I can only imagine the movie cool. for yeah. the first time. So exactly. it's, really, it's really neat. Uh, you kind of started things out in front of the camera a bit. Uh, what was it that uh, got you behind the camera? Uh, producing and and spending more time at that angle than in front of one and and do you prefer it is it something that you're that you feel more comfortable at well it's it's what my bread and butter is and i'm really you know it's finding the right people to work with and so the Irwin brothers were just like three pieces of a puzzle and so um you know my my function as a producer is to really not only just have input on the, some of the creative elements, but also putting the whole thing together, sort of like a a contractor, a general contractor would be for a housing housing a house or a housing development or, or right. whatever you want to call it. And so, um, so that's what I love. I, I love doing that. But I still act. I mean, I'm in. I can only imagine. <laughs> I was I was in Woodlawn for a brief moment. I was in Mom's Night Out a lot more. Our first movie together, right? Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm still acting and I still have a passion to do that. But, uh, so there, there, it's kind of both things that are going on. Okay. And, uh, and it, you know, it's, I, I love them both equally, but they're both very different because you kind of need to turn your hat around, uh, whenever you're in front of the camera or behind the camera and, and make sure you're focused yeah. on that particular thing at that point in time. My guest is Kevin Downs. He is the uh, producer of I Can Only Imagine, and it uh, shows up in theaters tomorrow night. Uh, it is an, uh, an evening here on Lifeline that we are pleased to be a part of uh, as we anticipate the opening night tomorrow. Kevin, I want to thank you for spending a few minutes with us here on Lifeline, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, hey, it's good to talk to you. Good to catch up. Good to know another uh, California boy and and stay stay warm in Weaverville. <laughs> exactly. Oh, goodness. So, <laughs> okay. Crazy. Well, I, I tell you what. While I sit and watch the snow fall from Northern Command, we'll go to KFAX Traffic Control and watch the traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Andy Froyland. And we are back. It is Lifeline. Andy Froyland in for Craig Roberts tonight. And it is all things I can only imagine. And joining us now as we uh, start wrapping this program up tonight is uh, the guy behind it all and the story behind it all. I think we've mentioned it a moment ago. You know, uh, it's been billed as a song that's been turned into a story. But I think as uh, we spend the next few minutes together, you'll get a sense that it's really a a story that was turned into a movie that just happened to be a song. Uh, Bart Miller joins us here on Lifeline. Bart, thank you for taking a few minutes. I know it's crazy this time, uh, uh, just uh, with the movie opening up tomorrow <laughs> night. I, I'm sh I'm sure you probably don't know which way is up anymore, right? Uh, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, it's it's you know I'm trying to enjoy it as we go, but we've had some busy moments in our career. But I've never seen anything like promoting a movie at the whole different level <laughs> I, I i've got to ask you as we get rolling tonight at what point in your life did you actually sit there and think you know this 
this might be something worth sharing and and something that people might take an interest in. I mean, did you ever in your wildest dreams think you would be where you're at today? No, not at all. I mean, I, you know, it's, I, I love making music and you always hope you connect with somebody. But when we wrote Imagine, I, I knew it was special, but didn't know what was about to take place in the next 20 years. And I certainly, certainly wasn't my idea to make a movie. I guess I was approached eight years ago and a producer out of uh, California. She heard me tell part of the story on stage and she thought she can't approach me. and was like, I think there might be a movie here. And we were like, oh, okay, whatever you think. And <laughs> for about five, for about five years, she would call about once or twice a year. And, uh, you know, and she'd be like, you know, I, I hadn't forgotten about you. There's a movie here. And I was like, all right, good luck. We believe it. <laughs> and then about three years ago is when the Irwin brothers, uh, it got involved and these scripts started taking shape and I was like, Oh man, this, this thing is actually going to happen. I remember even though I agreed to it, kind of nervous just from a standpoint of, you know, this is stuff I've tried to bury most of my life. And now not only are we digging it up, but we're going to put it on the big screen in a book. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I, luckily I kind of was at the same, about the same time frame, just kind of working through getting in a healthy place spiritually to where I was, you know, I'm to a point where I'm excited about telling the story. Right. I, I, I would imagine uh, if I, if I – and I could be totally off base, but I, I get the sense that you're not huge. You enjoy what you do, but the limelight tends to throw you off a bit at times. Would that be a correct statement? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's correct. I think it would be correct with, with, with anyone that's, you know, in the spotlight at all. It's like, you know, you – the. You know, it's, I, I'm very fortunate. So, you know, I don't know how solo acts do it and just being surrounded with yes people, but I've got a band with me that we knock each other around if we're acting weird or whatever. So, so it's about the best way to go. In my opinion. I can, I can remember a couple of your concerts where you've always, you, you, I don't know if you do it every concert, but you, you've closed with amazing grace and let the audience sing a cappella as it fades to black and you disappear, avoiding, yeah. uh, you know, the, the improper praise for the person rather than the one we're singing about. Um, that has always stuck with me. And I've appreciated that. So when, when this movie came out, I, I couldn't help but think that this has got to be, in some respects, exciting, but still a challenge at times. Uh, do you find yourself struggling with uh, the, the attention, the hype, and, and uh, getting lost in the story rather than the redemption that the story portrays? Uh, I think there's always that potential because, you know, it's uh, pretty much the most un- awkward thing a human can do stand in front of thousands of people and say, listen to me, or more importantly, it's like we start believing that your spirituality is based on how much time you spend on stage rather than a healthy relationship with Christ. And so, so yeah, I mean, the only thing different for me is that we've been a band for 24 years and, and uh, I think it's safe to say that we're probably definitely with being older, we're a little bit wiser. And, you know, when Imagine blew up the first time and went to mainstream radio and stuff, uh, you know, there were some things that, we kind of bought into that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, just how busy we got and how, how much attention we got. And so this time around, we're just trying to enjoy it. And we, we have a better understanding of what matters and, and what's important. And so, uh, and so we're, we're having a blast so far. You know, you, you had a difficult life. And I think that the, the really uh, resonant aspect of this movie and your story is that usually when you hit a true story on the big screen, it's it's a unique story that not everybody everybody can enjoy, but not everybody can relate to. Um, 
you have a story that a lot of folks are able to relate to and it 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 brings to reality this 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 idea of redemption and forgiveness uh, do you find yourself amazed that god has given you the voice to do this oh yeah absolutely you know i always be amazed by that and i think the cool part about this experience has been you know we didn't when the movie idea came up i was i didn't want it to be kind of this low hanging fruit or you know no disrespect but the kind of the fluffy christian film because mm-hmm. You know, I wanted them to be able to show like how, you know, my, I had an abusive father who, whose life was turned around because of the gospel. And I wanted, I wanted people to see how bad he was so that the redemption's part of it's not diluted or watered down. And I think the Irwins did a fantastic job of kind of walking that line of, you know, I think we, there's a conversation at one point where we're like, okay, we got to make sure it's not R rated. And I knew when they said that, I'm like, hey, I think we're on the right track. Like, <laughs> this is not going to be candy coated and, and we're not going to continue to pretend that these things don't happen in real life. And right. I think they did a, an amazing job of telling a very real story of how, people, like you said, people can relate to it. And it's not, you know, redemption's amazing, but it's not always perfect and pretty. And and uh, and that's probably my favorite part about the movie is that they there's a very real aspect to it. As you look at your own life now that you're a dad. And uh, you have a family. Can you look back on your relationship with your father and see how it has molded and shaped you to be the father that you are today? Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Is like the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's like it's all played a part in, you know, kind of kind of who I've become as a parent, as a husband. And I think the one time, one of the times it really dawned on me, um, the, you know, what my childhood was like was, you know, I've got five kids, been married for 20 years, and my wife had gone to grief counseling uh, a few years back. And I remember talking about how, man, I don't understand why my kids can be such jerks at home sometimes. They act out and they're they're fine in other people's homes or whatever, but there are these moments where they're just wheels off. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I remember the counselor saying, well, you know, the, I don't know if you realize that's a sign of a, actually a healthy environment these kids are acting out because they know they can try to figure out their emotions without the risk of us ever loving them any less. Hmm. And she goes, so the fact that they feel safe, that's when they'll act out. And just because they know if they get it wrong, you're still going to be there for them. And man, I remember just like, like breaking down in tears because like I would, like I said, I lived in fear in my childhood that I would have never have acted out like that. I was walking on eggshells all the time. And so, so it was a weird moment of me crying, going, our kids are jerks, which means we're great parents, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> oh, those ironic well, moments in life, huh? Yeah. <laughs> to, to coin a phrase, uh, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, as, uh, we're going to take a break here in just a moment or two, but as we, as we move to that break, uh, uh, your thoughts on... Um, this is all about your father, but it starts off with your mother leaving as well. Uh, and, right. and, and that's still kind of left a mystery for, our, for the audience, uh, almost towards the end. Is there a sequel to the movie? <laughs> yeah, I, I, not, as of right now there's not, but, uh, you know, it kind of was a mystery to me for most of my life until we kind of reconciled when I was later in life and, when they remember them interviewing me for the movie, they were like, you know, how did you feel when your mom left? And I was like, I felt abandoned, you know? And yeah. there's so much of it I didn't understand as a third grader when she left that I understand now, but you know, it was a, 
I, when we did one of the very first screenings, you know, it shows me chasing the moving van and I'm sorry. And, 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 um, and that's kind of the last time you see her and people were asking the same question. And what happened to your mom? I was like, well, she's a big part of my life. Like we're, you know, it's, she's our biggest fan or whatever. And, and a, a, a viewer there that night said, have you ever thought about like putting a photo of you and her at the end, like the end credits, just to kind of, cause that's another redemption story that we don't even know about. And right. I was like, that's a, that's a brilliant idea to even go to just say, Hey, just so you guys know, my mom's a huge part of life and my biggest fan. And, and, uh, and it was, and you're right. It's like, I'm so glad that, that guy suggested that because it, just, it didn't even dawn on me. But at the same time I was wrestling with, this is going to kill her. Like, you know, she, she, and she's seen it. And she's like, unfortunately that's how it was and heartbroken. But, but just there was, you know, I wanted people to see that she was a victim and fear for her own life and that, that things have been resolved since then. And so, but yeah, you never know. There may be yeah. a sequel of mom's, yeah. call it mom's revenge or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did Mom imagine. Was a vengeance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick time out, check traffic, pay some bills, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. Bart Millard is our guest here tonight on Lifeline as we consider all things I can only imagine. And now back to Lifeline with Andy Froyland. And we're back. It's Lifeline, Andy Froyland, my guest tonight, Bart Millard. We're talking about his movie, I Can Only Imagine, and the book, by the way, wherever they put ink to paper, you can pick up the book, I Can Only Imagine, and uh, we'll we'll talk with Bart about that here in just a moment. But Bart, as we get uh, this last segment rolling here, you know, the movie predominantly is about you and your father, but your mother did some leaving as well, and I can only imagine, <laughs> to coin the phrase, um, it was a real challenge for you as well. And while this movie deals with you forgiving your father, I, there's a process I'm thinking where you had to go about that with your mother as well. Um, can you talk about that a bit? It's interesting you say that because, like, I remember when we were going to counseling, you know, I just, I think I've, I made it, me talking to my dad, that was easy for me to do. It's crazy as it sounds, but that wasn't the root of a lot of, of, of the issues. And, you know, yeah. but that was the one that I could wear, like, a badge on my sleeve. And my yeah. counselor was like, she goes, you know what's sad is everything your dad did to you, that's not what, what derailed you? And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "Tell me about when your mom left." And dude, I clammed up yep. as quick as I could, and was like, "I don't want to go there." And and she was like, "You got to understand." She said, "For the 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 you know, no matter what your father does, you'll do your best to try to make him proud. But your mother is who shapes who you are. Yeah, as a as a son. And uh and and man, it was like it was like a bullet hole going through me when she started kind of trying to unpack that. And I realized I've I've, I've I've championed the story about my dad because it was the easier of the two. Right. And, uh, and so it's been a longer kind of process of just, you know, of, of, uh, you know, working things out with my mom and it's, and it's in a great place now, but it, it's taken a long time to where, you know, kind of like you said, that mystery in the movie of that was most of my life of not being clear of why she, you know, what, what ha- did she have to go through to, to leave her, her younger, her son, you know? Right. But it's but but you know the beautiful thing is this movie has been kind of one of the 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 reasons that it, it, I had to go back and address that and sit with her and talk through it, yeah. and uh, to where we're in a, we're you know to where she's she's uh, she's leading the front for putting this movie and, and getting behind it, which I never thought would be possible. Wow. 
So, uh, by the way, uh, I've instructed Jarrell just to crank up the volume. Uh, we have already begun uh, our last segment here on Lifeline, a rather unusual way of doing it, but I, I don't want to waste a minute of the time we've got with Bart tonight here on Lifeline. Uh, just you and I talking about the fact that, uh, you know, this is this is a movie about redemption and about forgiveness and you and your father, but your mother is such a key part of it as well. And I, I can only imagine so many. There's that phrase again. I can only imagine so many. You were of onto our, something. Yeah, I'm thinking. So many of our listeners are going. I, I, I just, I can't get there. I don't know how you got to the point of forgiving your dad for what he did, and and now you're talking about your mom. And holy cow, man! I, you know, I, f- forgive. I, I can't even forget how do you, how do you get there? So for our listeners tonight, Bart, I mean, let's step away from the movie a little bit and let's just let's talk about this issue of forgiveness because you've had to walk it, and God has given you by His amazing grace the ability to do this in amazing ways. Yeah, you know, the crazy thing about forgiveness is that we we assume that it's like we're we're doing this act of setting that person free. Like they're the one being in bondage by, you know, they've done me wrong and they're just waiting to be forgiven and all this kind of stuff. But the truth is those people move on with life. Like it doesn't really affect them. And we're the one, we're the tormented ones. And so it's forgiveness is just as much for us as the person that wronged us. And, uh, and I realized that this stuff was eating me alive. And, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm doing no one any good, especially myself. By, you know, by, like, I, I, I would treat it like, by not forgiving them, it's like I thought I was holding them captive, and that's just not the case. I was the one that was being held up, and and so, you know, it's just, it, there's, there's definitely a freeing, it's just so freeing to be able to forgive someone. Now, it's easier said than done, and with my dad, uh, you know, I literally saw firsthand the gospel change him completely into, from a monster to the, a man who absolutely loved Jesus. And, um, and, uh, and so it, it, you know, but it just, it took time, but in those four or five years that he had cancer, by the time he passed away, you know, I was the guy that didn't want grace to be, to be for him to, I was so convinced that the transformation was real was that, uh, you know, it wasn't an act of, I better forgive him or whatever. Like I, that's all I wanted to do because I wanted, I wanted a real dad, you know, yeah. things I wanted and, and no matter what kind of abuse you go through, it's especially with parents, you give the, you give us, you give a child one sign of sincerity or change. Most of the time we're quick to forgive. I know I was, I wanted it so badly. And I may not speak on behalf of everybody, but that's in my experience. Even with my mom, it, it was harder because there were some deep wounds there, but, but, uh, you know, but the more, the older I got, the more I realized, you know, how much a victim she was and what she went through. And being a parent myself, uh, it became easier to, to forgive her with more understanding. Right, right. I would imagine, too, and, and this is something that we should probably take into consideration as we're talking here this evening on Lifeline. Uh, the movie has to pare this thing down to just an hour and a few minutes, you know, hour and 40, two right. hours. Uh, we're talking right. a, about a process of a couple of years as you work through all of this. Does that show up yeah. in the book a bit more than it does in the movie? I mean, uh, obviously, the movie and the book are going to be vastly different. D- were you able to be a, f- a bit freer in the book with, with some of these issues that you're dealing with? Yeah, and that's the reason the book came about. People assume that the book was written and the movie was made from that, but 
it was actually the other way around. We started making the movie, and and I realized that you know because I've never I've never made been a part of a movie before, but you know people ask like how accurate is it? And I was like, well, it's about as accurate as you can be trying to stick twenty five years of my life into an hour and fifty five minutes. Right. So obviously there are things that you aren't able to cover, or they'll compress the timeline to get more information in a short amount of time. And so as we were making the movie, I realized, man. You know, there's, uh, you know, I would, I'm always the guy when I watch a true, a real, a true story, uh, I'm, I'm Googling the facts before the credits even roll. And, yeah. and so I got the opportunity to, to write the book as the movie was being made. So like when, you know, if there's a scene where my dad and, and I are in a fight and he breaks a plate over my head, like I'm able to kind of go into more detail how that came about because it unravels in a couple of minutes on the movie, in right. the movie, you know? And so. So yeah, but to, with my mom and my brother and just, and there's so much more that I wanted to tell that I was really excited about being given the opportunity. So it definitely goes into more detail and kind of explains the proper timeline of how things happen. I, I, you know, usually folks prefer the book over the movie after all is said and done. I would imagine it'll be the same here. That said, you had an awful lot of input into how this movie was put together so that it comes out as accurate as it does on the big screen. A lot of folks don't get that opportunity. In fact, I mean, we're, you know, the the, the big brouhaha about a wrinkle in time and just uh, pulling out some scripture. Right. Uh, already, we're, we're warping somebody's idea for the sake of a big screen. Uh, right. You feel pretty, uh, pretty confident that uh, John and Andrew and Kevin really uh, went to bat for you, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, there are some things that are that are not necessarily like, I mean, it's, I don't, I, I even, I'm even careful to say not accurate. It's just there are things that are, that were kind of shifted a little bit just because they would have become more of a distraction to the redemption story. And, you know, and, and it's, you know, but it's real minor stuff. The major scenes in the movie, like the, the violent scenes of my dad and the redemption part, you know, those are, are, those were like handled with kid gloves. They're so accurate. Like we didn't want to embellish the violent scenes at the same time. We didn't want to sugarcoat it. And then, just the conversations I had with my dad and, and the way he passed away and all that kind of stuff were, they were, they were done. The Irwin's did that so respectfully wow. that, uh, I was just really proud of how it went about. And, and yeah, just, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really pleased with how it turned out. Last, uh, as, as we let you go, and uh, you're looking for a pillow, no doubt. Uh, last question <laughs> before we let you go tonight, Bart. Do you have a specific wow moment that sticks out in this whole process from from start to big screen? Is there something along the way with this movie that just kind of makes you stand back, draw jopped, and go, my goodness, wow, that's cool? Yeah, you know, the, the coolest moment in the movie, well, the whole process, was uh, uh, I went out to watch when Dennis Quaid, who played my dad, started doing his scenes, and, uh, and, um, and I... There's a scene where we get in this big fight, and he and he uh, breaks the plate over my head, and we kind of have a standoff, and then I storm out of the house. And and sadly, that that was pretty accurate to how it really happened. And then uh, they, that's when they're supposed to say cut. Well, they kept the camera rolling on Dennis as I left the room. This guy and my dad as he's kind of slumped over and. You can see he's, he's struggling with this kind of, he can't control his temper and this kind of remorse that it always comes to this. He's trying to pick up his pieces and all that stuff. And I, w- I remember being, I was around the corner watching a monitor at, on set when it was happening. And for the first time in my life, 
I, I saw my dad with compassion. Wow. Like during that part of my life. Like I didn't think of the monster. I saw him as, you know, hurt people or the ones that hurt people. And, and I, I saw him as like, man, what did he go through to become this? Wow. And it broke my heart. And I'm like, I'm trying not to cry and ruin the take. <laughs> and, uh, and afterwards, Dennis came up and goes, are you okay? And I was like, man, that was the most therapeutic thing I may have ever seen because I've never thought about how my dad might have reacted after I left the, left the room. Wow. And so it's just a weird, profound thing I never saw coming that I'll never forget. Hmm. I, I do have one more question. It just dawned on me. Uh, your thoughts on having a guy who played Sweeney Todd be you? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's pretty pretty awesome, man. It's pretty awesome, man. We had to—he's a little overqualified, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, I, you know when I talk to Andy about it, it's like, dude, really? You got the guy who played Sweeney yeah. Todd to play Bart? That's yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Bart, I want to thank you for spending time with us tonight on Lifeline, and uh, congratulations, and thank you for being a willing vessel of the Lord to put this thing on the big screen so that the rest of us might uh, find some healing in the idea of forgiveness. It's it's uh, a Man, true my blessing. Pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That's going to put a wrap on tonight's broadcast. I want to thank you, our audience, for joining us tonight. Your ears. I mean, without you, of course, we're not doing any of this stuff, are we? Of course, Wanda Sanchez, our producer, our amazing producer, putting all of this together tonight, making it happen so we can have some fun in the sandbox, talking to some of these folks about the movie I can only imagine. And, uh, of course, Jarrell Martin over there on the other side of the screen pressing all those amazing buttons so you can hear it all. Uh, That rounds out the trifecta. Go out and see the movie tomorrow night. Make it a point to take your family and go enjoy a movie that you are going to walk away from going, oh my gosh, forgiveness is real. Redemption is real. Christ is real. This is amazing. Hallelujah. What a Savior, right? So that's what it's all about. Have a great evening. Thanks for letting me be a part of it tonight, and I'll see you next time uh, they, they let me get into this studio. We'll let Craig out of the closet now and untie him, and things will go back to normal. <laughs> Have a great evening. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.